Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 8, and the last time the message was titled A Pause. P-A-U-S-E. And there was between the sixth seal broken and the seventh seal broken in Revelation that there was uh, a pause. And there were these 144,000 Jewish believers in Christ that were sealed. They had a mark on their forehead. They couldn't be harmed. And remember, this is the, this is the earth's future. Um, and as we go through this book, you're going to see a lot of things leading up to this kind of frightening time in the earth's history. So this is prophecy, which means it's talking about things before they've happened. And the more we go deeper into this book, you're going to see the light bulb's going to go off and say, wow, we are definitely moving in that direction. So that was a cool thing. Uh, in, light, in light of all the judgments, what we're finding is that God still reserves time, even in this perilous time, with a world that's completely rebelled against him and has rejected him, that he still gives opportunities to believe in Christ and to be saved. So that's a, a wonderful portion of scripture. Today, the message is titled The Trumpet Judgments, and we're going to see the first four trumpets. So you've got the seals broken, you've got the trumpets, and then you have the bowl or the vile judgments that come. And again, you're going to see silver linings through that as well. Um, so through this time, we're going to look at this in four parts for each trumpet judgment in Revelation 8. And I'm just going to, this is why I tell people it isn't self-aggrandizing. It's, I try to get people to eat, watch this in series. You know, if you, if you couldn't make it, if you're watching on the live stream or you do, you're doing something Sunday morning to get the message when you come home, because we have it recorded on video. And the reason being is because you have to follow through this book. This is one of the very challenging books in the scripture, but God used the apostle John to give us this information for a reason. So every so often, like right now, I'm going to talk about how to read the book. Um, I have some very astute people in this church. They know the Bible very well. And one of my uh, tech guys, Lenny, was talking to me last Sunday after service and asking me some questions about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation can't be read as a chronological interspersed book. I challenge anybody in 2,000 years of Christianity to find me a revelation study that you look at this chronologically and interspersed. And I'm going to talk about what that means. Revelation has a lot of groupings, right? You see the horsemen of the apocalypse, and then you see a specific about what they do and what the manifestations are. You see a, uh, a wide angle lens about what's going on the planet. And then we'll see a telephoto lens about what's happening specifically, Right. So the word really is groupings. The book, God helps us to read this in groupings. And that's what we talked about last Sunday. So we finished the grouping of the, you know, the 144,000. They go out and evangelize. They're winning people to Christ. And my brother in the Lord asked me, Lenny asked me, so does that mean, based on how we read this, that to the, through the rest of the book in this tribulation time, that people aren't being martyred and going to heaven? And the answer is no. 
God groups it for us so that we can take that and apply it over this tribulation period. I'll give you one last example, and then we'll jump in. You can please ask me questions if you're not sure about it. Some of you may say, you know what, I'm new to the Bible. I am not there yet, and that's cool. I have to reach those who are new to the faith, and I also have to reach those who have been in the faith for decades. So this is what an interspersed chronological... uh, And and again, I have an interspersed chronological uh, version of the Bible like the Gospels, and it's really cool because you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, what came first, what came later. John, uh, the night Jesus was betrayed, really expands a lot of the discussions in Jesus' prayer. It's very, very cool when you read it that way, but you can't do that with Revelation. So I'll give you an example of what Revelation would look like if we tried to do that and force it, and it doesn't work. It would look like, so <laughs> the white horse is the Antichrist. Okay, he makes war. Okay. The red horse is the horse of war. Okay. Oh, by the way, Persia, Iran, and Russia are going to get involved. Okay. A thousand people just got killed. They went to heaven. Hey, uh, Libya and, um, you know, uh, Turkey got involved. All right. A thousand more Christians just died and went to heaven. Okay. Um, so you see where I'm going with this? You're like, what are you talking about? So it's so important that we read the Bible the way it was intended for us to write. And that's why people can take the scripture out of context because... When you take that out of context, context, none of it makes sense. Um, so it's, it's, I believe God, in, in these last days, I think he wants his people to know the scripture. So I'm going to teach it to you the way it was intended. And I believe that by the end of the study, if you get all the videos or if you've been here or back and forth, a combination of both, you're really going to understand this book. So let's jump in. Verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, so this is the last of the seals, There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I'm not going to do that for half an hour, but it's almost uncomfortable, isn't it? A pause like that, a silence. But this is so important in heaven that these things are going on, that everything ceases. All the sound, all the worship, all the activities freezes. God has his reasons. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seventh seal is broken. That ushers in the seven trumpet judgments. Everything has a reason in the scripture. When you look in the Old Testament especially, and maybe getting almost to the first century with different civilizations that were still doing it. The trumpets did a few things. They sounded the alarm for war, right? You didn't have pagers. You didn't have cell phones. When the trumpet blew, the men would come out, get their gear on, and get ready for battle. The trumpet, also in the Old Testament, was for a special occasion, to assemble God's people. So this is an interesting occasion because there's judgments that are going to take place. The angel having the golden censer offers prayers of the saints and incense to God. In Psalm 141.2, the psalmist speaks about his prayers as a a sweet incense to God. You know, as people use um, herbs and these different um, 
spices therapy and they, they, they light them and it fills their home. And it's to some people, it's very comforting. It's very pleasant. Some of you use that as a therapy. But we can look at this whole idea as when we pray to, to God, it, it sort of rises up and to him, it's beautiful as incense would be to us. Interesting, isn't it? That's how much he loves us. He loves when his people pray to him. Incense was also burned in the temple. Again, symbolic of prayer. So what prayers are causing this judgment? Well, we talked about, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In addition, we saw the tribulation saints who were being martyred and tortured and killed for no good reason They go to heaven and they ask God about justice, right? It could be as a result of that, or we pray similar things. You know, we still have freedoms in America as Christians, but if you go to uh, many countries, they don't. Christians are routinely rounded up, put in re-education camps, murdered, put on trial. Everyone's against them. So as we speak, our brothers and sisters around the world are praying for his will to be done because they're struggling. And we should be praying regularly for the persecuted church. But the beauty of God remaking heaven and earth, well, the judgment has to come first. So this is a direct fulfillment. This half hour of silence is very interesting. Um, it's sort of the calm before the storm, storm. And it's interesting because in our culture, every culture is different around the world. It's so cool to kind of look at other people and how they live their lives in different communities uh, it's, it's a learning experience. Some cultures overseas look at us and, and their attitude is, wow, you, you Americans, <laughs> it's so stressful. And I think that's really a challenge for us today in our culture, in our country, is that we're, we're, we're always running and doing this and we're distracted and, and there's electronic devices. And, you know, here God calls everybody to be silent and pay attention to the next thing that he's going to do. You know, God has respect for himself. He's not going to chase us around saying, oh, please pay attention to me. He's like, I'm here. I'm always here. But you have to settle yourselves and take that time to, to communicate with God. That's what prayer is. It's a discussion with God. So a lot of distractions in our culture. Verse 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So the first trumpet, part one out of four this morning, is the plague on vegetation. Hail, fire, mingled with blood. I'm going to get back to blood with this next trumpet that comes uh, upon them. Uh, this is similar to the seventh plague of Egypt. And I'm going to talk about why I'm going to making parallels to the plagues of Egypt. So Egypt, the seventh plague was a great hail that came down. Now, let's move back to what's going to happen in the earth. That the crops will be destroyed by this and livestock, no, la- uh, no, no doubt, will end up dying because of the, the lack of vegetation. So it'll not only hurt the vegetation, but it'll also hurt the, the animal industry, uh, or the food, the meat industry shrinking food supply. Hence, the third horseman of the apocalypse is famine. So you see a lot of these things precipitate. They precipitate this famine situation that's going to go throughout the earth. Now, some Bible commentators, and every once in a while, it's funny because in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, sometimes what 
some Bible teachers do is they read the culture into the scripture, which is always a mistake. That's called eisegesis. We have to exegete. We have to pull the information out of the scripture. What is God trying to say to us in any generation? So I'll give you an example. I remember in the 80s, you know, the Cold War, everything that hit the earth was a nuclear weapon. And I've heard teachers say that, and it's like, oh, you guys can't go there. You know, because then when we're out of the Cold War and everyone's kind of at a standstill, nobody really wants to fire the first shot. Um, how are you going to read the Bible then? You have to read the Bible for what it is. Uh, D.A. Carson speaks about, he wrote a book on that. So we have less vegetation. We, we have, um, you know, less trees. There's a rise of carbon dioxide because they take in the carbon dioxide and expel oxygen, and we do the opposite. God made a really nice balance between animals and, and plant life in, in many different respects. Um, I also think about those who are concerned about global warming. It's going to get real hot real fast in these judgments. And I would just say, you know, sometimes people don't know how to read me. Are you, I like a little bit of conservatism. I like a little bit of libertarianism. I little, like a little bit of classic liberalism. You, I can't be put in one camp. I like the best out of the three. You know what I'm saying? So I try to reach everyone. I want to reach the conservatives. I want to reach the liberals. I want to reach the, you know, the libertarians. It's up to them whether they want to follow along or not. So it's a noble cause to try to save the earth. But I have to tell you that if you don't receive Christ and you're thrust into this time period, it's going to be extremely difficult. And I make the analogy with the Titanic. There were some who were down in the lower levels and they, were, they had the bucket brigades and they had the pumps and they, they were trying to stop the water from coming into the bottom of the ship. Well, you know what happened to the Titanic. And then there were those that were saying, listen, just get the women and children first, get them on the lifeboats. Let's get out of here. This is a sinking ship. Wherever you are, you have to be in the ladder because you're going to go down with the ship. This world is, a, is it was created beautifully. Mankind ruined it with sin. God has to uh, let things unfold, and then he's going to remake the new heavens and the new earth. So wherever you are on the spectrum, I want to ask you to join us, and let's be the ones that get everybody on the life preservers and the boats, because th you're not going to save this world, just letting you know that. But wait till the next world. It's going to be so incredible. But just like God made this, and we, we find beauty in this planet, even in its sinful state and its, its marred state, wait till he redoes it. The, the beauty is going to be unimaginable. So, you know, time's running out. Verse 8, then the second angel sounded and something like, very important, I went into my Greek, it didn't say a great mountain was hurtled to the earth. It said something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. John, the apostle, is God is showing him these things. It, it makes an indelible mark in his brain and his mind, and then he starts writing it down. But he's not really sure what he's seeing. So he's basically saying, listen, there's this, this thing looks like a mountain, and it's coming to earth. Right? He sees that. He writes it down, doesn't know what it is. So two out of four is the second trumpet or the plague on the oceans. We can see the first plague of Egypt where the Nile was turned to blood. And a lot of Bible commentators have a lot of comments on it and 
points and what is he trying to say through all this? But, and, and this is the, the myopic, I believe the myopic uh, interpretations of scripture. And I've heard this too. Some of you smile, some of you shake your head because you've heard it too over the years if you've been a Christian for a few decades. And they say, oh, well, that must be the red tide, right? How many of you heard of algal bloom? It's, it has a reddish when it comes up and the, and the waters are disturbed. That's, again, that's, an, that's a myopic view. Others say, oh, well, this great burning mountain hit. And because, let me back up, it hits the waters and they say, oh, it's, it ruined the Mediterranean Sea. As if there's no other oceans or waters around the globe. Again, it's a very short-sighted view. It's tied to the preterist view. Right? It's a very uh, microcosmic picture of Revelation. This is macrocosmic. This is happening everywhere. Just a few facts, and I love looking at... I love science. <laughs> I brought one of my science books with me today from college 30 years ago. <laughs> if this was the what fifth, second edition, I bet they're on the 100th by now because it's been a long time since I've been in college. I just did it as a goof. Um, but it is interesting because, I said this before, some famous scientists said that science always changes. There's finite understandings of things that are, but we actually have to keep digging until we find those things. That's why every five, ten years, science, especially the biological sciences, DNA, chromosomes, that cha- it's not that science changes, but it's our understanding becomes increased. And we see that in Daniel, that these things would happen. So what do we know? We know that the oceans are all connected and they cover 70% of the Earth's surface. A lot of water on this planet. And it it affects a lot of different things. This burning object that hits the oceans may actually evaporate a large volume of water with the intense heat. It, it It would hit it, and if it's that hot, it'll initially produce steam. There'll, there'll be um, a cataclysms, the, the, the temperature is raised, sea life, certain sea life. And you look at, you know, the food chain on the land, there's also a food chain in the sea. It will disrupt that. Certain creatures can only live in certain temperatures, and they migrate at certain times of the year. The ocean is actually quite fascinating. The tumult might be the thing that destroys the ships. You know, it hits it with such force that there's these... There could be 200-foot waves, and it's not an exaggeration. If something like a mountain just directly hits the the waters, it's going to disturb the cadence of the waves. There's going to be very large waves, and even the mightiest ships will be overturned, killing sailors and passengers, um, you know, and, and these things are happening here. Death of sea life, lives of sailors, great spilling of blood, which brings me to my next point. Why is blood either metaphorically or literally used in some of these in some of these descriptions now i'll tell you this and and probably my favorite science is anatomy and physiology the human body to me is incredibly fascinating but when you see the state of blood depending on the state it indicates two things and i've done a demonstration where i take a high-powered flashlight and i put it up to my hand and you can see my hand turn red it's the light actually, you can see through the thin veneer of the skin and the blood that's going through my capillaries. It's beautiful. This bright red color. When you see someone give blood and you see these bags of life-saving blood being put in a refrigerator, that's, that's, it makes you excited. Someone's life is going to get saved by that. 
However, in my former life, <laughs> when I was a police officer, I was on many crime scenes. I was on many death scenes, and I've seen blood in large... I'm not going to go into great detail. I'm sure some of you just had breakfast, but I've seen uh, blood spilled in large quantities, and the way it congeals, the way it smells, it's vile. It's, it can evoke a, a vomiting. It's disgusting to look at. So blood, depending on in what venue you see it, can have two very different meanings. So my personal opinion, Bible commentators will say different, God is trying to show us that the earth is dying. And that's why we see a lot of these illusions of blood, right? We're going to get more into this. It's powerful. So he says this, this huge burning um, could be a meteor. And, you know, meteors are funny. They go start from the meteoroid stage. Then, then they go to the meteor stage and then meteorite, depending on where they are in the continuum of space and the atmosphere. And we talked about the Kármán line and all that stuff in the last um, service or two. But it comes, this fireball comes hurtling down to the earth. And the earth loses its security. The earth loses its protection. Folks, Jesus said it's harder, um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a wealthy person to get into heaven. Why? If I was a multimillionaire, I might rely on my riches. You know, and I know some wealthy people who handle it well. They don't let it burn them. But the point that the Lord was trying to make is that when we have security, when we have food, when we have uh, an estate, when we have servants, when we have, you know, stockpiles of food, you just sit back and go, hey, I'm insulated, you know? And the, the attitude is that they don't need God. Well, in this period of time, the earth is losing its security. It's losing its protection. And then you're starting to see that we're going to get to that. Thousands of people come to God and repent. And I'm going to tell you something. Like I said, I always say this. God doesn't send me an email and say, hey, um, you know, I want you to be my PR person and help, help with my image. He doesn't need that. But I always defend God's character because of what I know of the scripture. And people say, this is hard for me to stomach that the God of love can allow these things to happen. Think about this. If you got saved and you knew that you were going to heaven because of what Christ promised you and you had loved ones that just were resistant the whole time, wouldn't you be okay if God allowed something horrific to happen in their lives so that in the end we could all be in the same place? That's the way I feel about my friends and people that I love. And they're just not listening anymore. I'm, try I'm pleading with them. I love you. You don't understand why I'm doing this, why I want you to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, some take the hard-headed approach. And don't get me wrong, in the beginning, I think it uh, could be a few dozen preachers when I was young and doing my thing. It, it took me all into my mid-20s to receive Christ. All throughout my teenage years, I was hard-headed. But sometimes it has to take a, a tragedy for us to say, wow, you know what? I am immortal. I am a mortal. I am not immortal. And I should consider the things of God and what happens when I die. So just throwing that out there, verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died 
from the water because it was made bitter. Now, I'm gonna, you're going to laugh. This Bible I've had for over like 25 years, ever since I got saved, it's sentimental. The pages are falling out, they're ripping, you know, it's frustrating. <laughs> uh, but, but I keep it because it, I got saved and this is my first Bible. I just let you in on a, a little goof is right next to it, I wrote Chernobyl. Because back in the day, when I first got saved, I started listening to these pre. I never crossed it out. I don't believe it's Chernobyl. Um, so, it, you know, it, but it's funny how you go through stages until you build a spiritual maturity. And then you say, you know what? God, he's got a bigger plan than that. That's just, that's myopic. It's short-sighted. Did I finish reading that? Store this wormwood, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. Okay, so three out of four is the third trumpet, or the plague of wormwood on the now fresh water, right? Bringing death to those who drink from it. The word wormwood, I looked it up in the Greek because a lot of people have a lot of opinions. So I say, well, let's go to the original language. The Greek word is absinthos, which is the scientific name for the wormwood plant. I know my wife knows this. Um, there are some chemotypes that, that it, there's a poison in it, and if you drink enough of it, it will kill you. In addition, the word, English is an incredible language. It's really a living language because we adopt uh, into our words. The, dic the dictionary every year adds more words. We, we almost absorb words from other cultures and stuff. But the English word wormwood, if you look it up in the dictionary, it'll say a plant but it'll also say a source of bitterness and grief. So those two things go together. Now, you know, when you're doing research, you find other things. Apparently there's a liqueur or something that people drink called absinthe or something, and nobody wants to shake their head and take uh, ownership for that. <laughs> Not only do they get the booze, but they, it, it's like people do weird things. Like they want, they like the bitter taste to it. I don't know. Just be careful. Don't be, you know, no problems with that. So I'll just leave this for you preppers out there who are stubborn and don't want to go, who, who, who want to go through the tribulation. Make sure you dig yourself a shallow well. Otherwise, you're going to be very thirsty. But it's better if you come to Christ now. <laughs> so the meteor could be a poisonous compound from outer space or just created by God. Either way, once it hits the water, it makes the water unpotable. And nobody has to be here for this. You know, there could be a time where you know, God's desire, it says, is that the whole world would be saved. There could be a time in the next few years, it's a nice thought, it probably won't happen, that the whole world realizes that all the ways of man and women is not going to save the planet, it's not going to save us, and everybody turns to Christ, and within a trickle of a few years, everyone is believing in Christ, the Lord comes back, we get a mezzanine seat in heaven, and we just watch him do these things. There's nobody on the planet. Right? This, is a, this is a fantasy. Um, the earth is, is, is broken up and destroyed, and the Lord remakes the new heavens and the new earth. And we're like, ooh, ah. I've seen some firework displays, and you know, my wife and I are just like, so cool. You just look up, and pop, 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 into different colors and sounds. And, and you hear people go, ooh, ah, right? Could you imagine being in a place of safety and watching God change everything, taking all the compounds, remaking it, uh, making sure there's no tornadoes or hurricanes or death. And, and there's this pristine earth that's just gorgeous and perfect. 
You don't have to sweat by the, you know, like Adam had to do and sweat and work to get the vegetation and to, to actually hunt for food. Like, you don't need all that anymore. So that's, that's my thing, and I just look at it that way. Uh, it would be great if everybody turned to Christ. But remember, the tribulation saints get to heaven. Let's go back. And he's, he's basically saying that they're not, they're not thirsty anymore, and the heat isn't um, hurting them, right? Because this is what's been going on on the earth. In addition to God's wrath, the Antichrist is now running the show throwing the world into, into war. What a miserable time it's going to be. And you can see it happening. I'm going to talk about where globalism is going uh, right around Revelation 13 when we get to it. Verse 12, continuing on, it says, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Do you think the first four blasts were bad? Well, you see these next three. But again, nobody has to, you know, you don't have to suffer through it. You know, you can just trust the Lord sooner than later. So four out of four is the fourth trumpet. And the plague, you you can look at the plague of darkness, right? The ninth plague in the plague of Egypt was the plague of darkness. How does this happen? Again, I give you both. I say he could do it supernaturally. He could accelerate the aging process. Remember, our sun is not one. It's not on the spectrum of the brightest and hottest stars, right? It's somewhere in the middle, the sun will eventually burn itself out. And do you think we're going to survive without the sun? So even without God's interference, we just can't. Photosynthesis, there's all kinds of issues with that. Um, extreme cold, etc. So even those who are atheists have to realize that we can't sustain life here. Now, it could take a long time for that to happen, but God is going to use an accelerated process here. So what happens here? Well, some look at this and say, by natural causes, from all the pounding the earth is taking, that there's a lot of... Remember Mount St. Helens? Remember the photographers in the middle of day and there was like a cloud that completely occluded the sun? So could it be particulate matter, particulate debris from all the upheavals? Sure. We've seen photos. We've seen uh, videos of that. Uh, did he strike the sun literally? He just struck it, touched it, and he accelerated the star death. You know, if you study the death of a star and its death throes and the ebbs and flows that the star goes through, it's actually quite fascinating. There's different layers, so like there is on the Earth, there's different layers of layers of a star, and there's nuclear reactions in the center of these stars, and it's I don't know how anybody can say this just happened by accident. There's layers of fuel, and the fuel gets consumed in different ways depending on how the star lives out its life, as I'm talking about it like it's a person. Um, It expands at times, and then the gravity from the core will pull out some of the expansion and bring it back in again. So a star will go through these um, cycles of temperatures, uh, temperature changes and brightness changes, okay? So again, I, I 
This is called The Dynamic Universe. Let me know for any of you college folks who are still using this book. 30 years ago, it's probably on the 100th edition, or they got a different book. But I, even before I was a Christian, I was fascinated by the cosmos, right? And uh, then when, the, when some, sometimes you have the situation with the death of a star, it, it creates a black hole, and it creates an incredible amount of, uh, of, of gravity and force that pretty much anything that comes by or it comes by just gets sucked up into it increasing the mass of the core. So, but that has nothing to do with, with this. <laughs> and, and this is important too, because actually there's Lenny. Hey, Lenny. We were also talking about stars and, um, you know, the cosmos and stuff. And in the Bible, it speaks about darkness and then it speaks about intense heat. So again, is God accelerating the ebb and flow or you know, so, so people get so dogmatic on this. Um, he's just, everything's just, whatever we're used to, who, for those that are going to be there, it's going to be a very, you talk about uncertainty. We're in the times of uncertainty in 2020. This is nothing compared to what the earth and its inhabitants are going to go through. You'll have a major interruption in photosynthesis, warming changes, which, are, which exacerbates the famine situation. You see how all these things are tied together? That's why in the beginning I talked about grouping. Otherwise, you're like, I don't even know where to look. Because literally, there's things going on in all these different venues, right? Geology, uh, astronomy, spiritually, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I have all these theories written out. I'm just, I'm not going to go through all of them, but you get the picture. Could be done supernaturally, or he can just allow it to run its course or accelerate it. Now, let's go back to the ninth plague of Egypt, darkness. There was also darkness at the crucifixion. It was broad daylight, Jesus was crucified, and then a great darkness covered the land. In addition, um, again, Egypt, great darkness. Here, God makes it go dark. So there's a, there's a theme here. And, and what I believe, just like the blood that we talked about, is that he's making a point about sin and evil and the spiritual harbinger for something much more ominous. You know, God is, believe it or not, it's mercy. If it gets people to look up and go, oh, it's the middle of the day, I can't see anything. I think in, in Exodus, they, they couldn't even see their hand in front of them. It was so pitch dark. We count on the sun. We expect when we open our eyes in the morning that the sun, that big, beautiful ball of hot gases is somewhere up in the sky and it, it warms you and your flowers and your vegetation grow. We really love the sun. We count on it. And God is showing the people that don't count on it. You need to move from the S-U-N to the S-O-N. Very, very important. Again, that's mercy, right? Mercy is that I get saved before I die. So there's a lot worse things than darkness, but the darkness will get people's attention. You know, you look at what happened in 2020 between COVID and the instability of, of uh, you know, the rioting and, and all the different things that are happening um, that we had, we went through, right? Some of you might have experienced this uh, shortage of meats. I know meats have become more expensive. There's been issues with meat packing plants, uh, supply chains, the beloved toilet paper that everybody was freaking out. What am I going to do? 
Just take a quick shower, you know. I don't have to tell you, you know what I'm saying? There's solutions to everything, people. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, they found, and I've seen the articles, the, the feds busted uh, truckloads of ventilators. People were hoarding ventilators while people in hospitals were dying because they couldn't get ventilators. And we're talking a lot of ventilators. Be interesting to see how that, um, those charges, you know, end up. And it's really sad because people act incredibly selfish during these times. You know, if you've ever seen an apocalyptic movie, you know, and, and actually they do it really well. You know, there's traffic, there's crashes, people are getting out and assaulting each other. We're seeing that on our streets. You know, when a human being who doesn't know God feels threatened, they will harm other human beings. We will act... And I have to apologize to the animal kingdom. They, they act like animals. And sometimes animals actually act better than human beings because we should know better. God has given us all a conscience. You know what I'm saying? Um, this is just, if you don't realize that our culture is devolving enough as it is, like people can't, I have friends who believe different things, politically, spiritually. They're still my friends, right? But a lot in our culture people are becoming balkanized in their belief systems. Well, you don't, you're not on the same political spectrum as me, so therefore we can't be friends anymore. I'm unfriending you. This is our culture, folks. It's getting worse. So I guess what I'm trying to say is a pastor, as a church, we need to step up in, in those little ways that God can use us with our spiritual gifts to try to be peacemakers, to try to bring people together, to love them, to help them, and for them to see Christ in us and in the way we live our lives. I just refuse to panic. You know what I'm saying? I'm just not going to do it. And I have enough insulation that I could go for a little while before having to worry about when the, the food stores are restocked. Um, so that's, that's what I'm trying to say there. It's going to be a really, really terrible time. I'm just going to leave you with the last verse about this angel who, who flies through the midst of heaven, saying, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. I say this, that God is a serial warner, W-A-R-N-E-R. God is a serial warner. Just like any good parent See the kid going for the street. See the kid going for the hot stove. If they have to tackle that kid so something worse doesn't happen to them, they will. All throughout this book, he's warning people. Why does the angel need to do that? Yeah, just torch them. Just who cares? You're going to see a lot of this. Even at one point, one of the angels gives the gospel, right? So, and it's like if you got an angel flying through the air and you're like seeing, whoa, and it starts to preach the gospel, it's like, you know, maybe it's something to pay attention to, right? But we're going we're gonna to look at that. People are stubborn, you know? All right. So the angel ex- exclaims grief. We look at uh, Isaiah 5. Again, the Bible, if, when you know, if you've read it, the most of the Bible or all the Bible, you can see all the tie-ins to Revelation. Isaiah 5, he speaks about the, the woes. God doesn't enjoy judgment. He's trying to get the people to change their behavior or at least look to him for salvation, right? So let's tie in the plagues of Egypt and Pharaoh to what we're seeing here. God's MO, so to speak, his modus operandi doesn't change that much. And that's a good thing. We can count on him. 
and his character. He's not capricious like some people say Allah is. You don't know. He's capricious. Well, our God is not capricious. He's very predictable in how he loves us and tries to warn us from danger. Uh, so we looked at the, uh, the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, God got Pharaoh's attention, not through the Jews who he had as slaves, not through Moses or Aaron. When he started seeing those plagues, he said, wow, there is a force greater than me as the king of all Egypt that maybe I should pay attention to. But he did a lot of flip-flopping. The plagues of Egypt also got the pagan practicing Egyptians at the time. It got their attention. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 12, the Egyptians aggregately and aggressively blessed the Israelites with supplies for their journey. And I believe my impression from reading Exodus is that the many Egyptians got saved. That's me, right? Just like the Egyptians took notice through the plagues, there will be those in the tribulation that will take notice through these plagues. This God doesn't change in his desire for all of mankind to be saved. Repent and be saved. So before we do the altar call and before we close, I believe that God put it on my heart to just show this same God, <laughs> this same God, who's manifesting these judgments is also a God of love and mercy. So we're going to see a clip. If you haven't seen it, the church bought the series called The Chosen. Just a really, really nice way that they did the, um, the Gospels and, and the events that took place in the Gospels. So we're going to run that, and then I'm going to come back up. Jesus of Nazareth! I saw what you did to the leopard on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leper. That's a rope! Put it back, man! You are willing, Rabbi. I know you can do this. Did you teach? 
answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. Powerful. You know, even Josephus, <laughs> even Josephus Flavius, uh, Roman historian who was clearly not a believer, when you hear how he writes about Jesus, says, I think it's Antiquities of the Jews, one of the many volumes, he said, and there was a, a man called Jesus, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he did many signs and wonders. And he, uh, he mentioned this Roman historian who was not a believer, this Jesus, he called it magic. He didn't know. He couldn't explain the miracles, and he said he did a lot of magic. So, folks, I just, before the, as the worship team comes up, I just would like to ask if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, and just, it, you know, you just take a mental evaluation right now. You don't know Jesus, but you want to. We would just like to ask you to come up and give your life to Christ.
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.